I had sciatica and a slip disc at the same time. Going back into work after a break over the summer was difficult because I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand for long, I couldn't even drive for long. I would drive two miles and I'd have to get out the car and stretch. So a 20 minute journey would become 45 minutes to an hour. So I was struggling. And it was one day I went into school in the September and my head of department, the cover teacher from my lesson, he turned them away and told them to go into his lesson. And he was reteaching something that I'd already taught. And I was like, I said to the technician, what is he doing? And he says, oh, he's redoing the lesson. He says, oh, they just, they all had the same thing in their books and he didn't understand it. At the end of the first lesson, going into the second lesson, he said, um, do you want me to carry on? I said, well, no, because I've already done this already. And he goes, well, you wasn't here. And he shrugged his shoulders and I was like, wow. Oh, did this man really say that? And did he really say that in front of 25 of my students? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every Old Podcast. My name's Matt and I'm here with, and you guessed right, a fantastic guest. This guest I've known for a couple of years, I think. Probably a bit longer than that. Possibly. It was over COVID anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, COVID was like three years ago now, isn't it? Wow. Mad. All right, cool. Yeah, so I've known you for about three years. And I did disappear for about a year. <laughs> yeah, I disappeared for a year, had babies, you know, because Mr. Overachiever here had twins. But from day one, I think we just kind of, well, I don't know about you, but I feel like we clicked. Like you're a creative person, I'm a creative person. I just I just loved what you did in terms of your designs, the, the way it involves the community and you're just a straight up funny person. Okay, granted, you've got a funny accent, your Bromley accent, but I, 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 I could look past that. You had to go there. You had to go there. I could look past it. It's not even <laughs> that bad. Oh, my God. It really is, because the fact that when you say certain words, I actually know that your tongue is having to forcefully do things it shouldn't have to do just to pronounce words that way. So, that's a me thing. You're wrong for that. <laughs> I'm just thinking there's no need to say words that way. You're just you're just trying to be awkward, but it's fine. It's fine. The other parts of your character make up for that shortcoming. So it's all right. It's all right. You're still lovely people. And mm. what can I say? You are you are you do amazing things. You are a lovely person. The I don't know the full length and breadth of what you do, but the things I've been privileged to has been absolutely amazing and incredible and actually inspiring to know that whatever I'm doing that is beyond me potentially can have an impact which I'll never see but it doesn't take away from the impact it's having the positive impact that it's having so I you know I commend you for what you do I respect you and I appreciate you for what you do I just hope that you continue to do it and continue to have that passion to do what you're doing also be afforded not just the time but be afforded the ability to keep doing it through people buying into what you're doing and supporting you in whatever way they can so yeah I really do appreciate and obviously I, I appreciate you jumping on and being willing to be a guest and to share what you're going to share today. No I appreciate that thank you very much. You are most welcome so before we go into what your first L is going to be and if anyone's new to this and don't know what L is an L is basically come from the phrase of a cocktail which is normally when you look at sports or watch sports, it's L's for a loss, W's for a win. Most time when we go through things and things are not going the way we want it to, we can sometimes look at it very binary and say, that's a loss rather than a win. But some people look back in hindsight and say, well, actually, rather than that being an L, that was, and they say what it was based on whatever experience they may have gained from going through that. 
So before we go into all of that stuff just yet with Janet, I'm going to ask Janet if she could please introduce herself as she sees fit before we go into it. So I'm Janet from Birmingham, even though you slated my accent. No comment. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm the founder and CEO of a social enterprise called Feed My Creative. Um, I set it up in 2016 and registered as a community interest company in 2018. I'm a mum to two boys. I have a grandson. And yeah, that's a brief intro. Very brief. Very brief. But it's all good. Got no problem with that. And it just means that if people want to learn more about you, they've got to hit you up. So we'll get to that part later on in the episode where you can selfishly plug yourself and whatnot so folks you know how it runs with these l's i get i don't always know what they are i even if it's people i know on a more intimate basis i don't always know what they're going to talk about and that's what i enjoy it's the fact that people are allowed to talk about what they feel they want to talk about and we just explore it a little bit further so the first l janet was talk about is struggles before starting a business and off the top of my head, that just sounds like the calm before the storm, I guess, because starting a business is never straightforward. Well, mm. if it is, then you're one of the 1% or whatever percentage it is that suddenly just hits the floor running and everything's cushy. But it sounds like a little bit of struggle was there. Yeah, what? because if you think about it, I did hit the ground and I ran with it. And I've never looked back ever since. But it's, it's almost like you, you're climbing a hill and you're struggling, you get, you know, like when the air's getting thinner and you're struggling to breathe and it's like, what the hell am I doing? But I made a lot of decisions spur of the moment um, before I even got to it and it was based off, you know, things weren't necessarily fantastic at the time, but you know, you've got to make the changes to make things better for yourself and for your family. So I had to make some really tough decisions and that was based off no conversations. I just thought, you know, I'm going to do it. So did you know you always wanted to start a business then? Yeah. Um, even for back in the day, because <clears throat> my background is fashion and textiles anyway. So I was a freelance designer for years until I decided, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore. So when I went into teaching in 2010, Yeah, it was 2010 I went into teaching. I knew from the very first school that I worked in, this is not for me and I will not be retiring as a teacher. And, you know, it's like first impressions count. My first impressions as a teacher had a lasting memory and every school after that was absolutely terrible. There was one where it wasn't so bad, but it's not not always the behaviours and the, the kids that you're working with. It's those above you senior management and the lack of support the tick box exercises and I thought as a creative this isn't what this isn't what I signed up for I think that's the hardest thing because they'll put all these ads out you know those that can teach and they make it sound like a brilliant thing and the pay is good and no it was not what they said it was going to be like and if I struggled as an adult and as an adult creative, then I knew I was going to struggle to be able to be as creative as I wanted to be with the the kids that I was working with. Um, and a lot of those struggled because they bounce off your energy and my energy sometimes wasn't good at all. And I hated it. I actually began to hate teaching and I lasted for 11 years, which seems like a long time. But when you're looking at the amount of schools that you work in, it's not it's not in the grand scheme of things, you've got people that have been teaching for 20, 30 odd years. Um, I'm surprised I lasted for free, to be fair. That's incredible. So so you started off with your background in textile mm-hmm. and then the work you did in the school was as the same subjects? Yeah, textiles. I mean, if you, whatever subjects you go into, you've got to have a second subject. So with design and technology, if you're doing textiles, you've got to say teach food. If you've got to teach food, you've got to teach health and social care or whatever. There's always a second subject that you've got to teach. And so I was doing um, textiles and food technology, which was all, it was all right. It, 
it was it was just all right. It wasn't nothing exciting. More challenging when you're doing GCSE work because that was the point where I felt like I could I could challenge students more to do something different from the norm because what you find with textiles is always girls and because I've got boys it was always about let's get rid of this misconception that sewing is just for girls I hated that the girls always me oh you know you got to do textiles or you got to do food and I hated it and everybody always wanted to make prom dresses very cliche it's like why do you want to make a prom dress it's like no disrespect one, I've got the time to teach you how to make a pattern properly. You're going to have to buy one and adapt it. And your skill level, again, no disrespect, regardless of whatever I do, you're not going to make a prom dress for you to be able to wear. I've never seen anybody make a prom dress that they can actually wear. So for me, I think this is where the idea of making useful items, things that you can actually keep and reuse again and again and again came from. So even just thinking about it now, that's probably where it came from. So we one GCSE group, I said, well, if you can, if you want to cover a chair, cover a chair. If you want to make a quilt cover, make a quilt cover. But if you do, you've got to do an accessory, like a hot water bottle cover or something to go with it. And that's what I was encouraging these young people to be able to do. And I think I got a bit of backlash for that because then my subject became more popular than the others. And certain department heads didn't like that. They'd never say it, but I know they didn't like it. But I went as far as, if I'm going to tell you to cover a chair, that not that I've ever covered a chair before in my life, other than like a footstool or something, which is pretty easy. But it was a full-on high-back chair. I went I on eBay, bought it, took it to school, had it in my classroom. Any kids that were on detention, like, right, you can strip the chair for me, but just don't rip the fabric. And over like a few months, they could see the process of it being stripped bare and then me going through the process of covering it. So when they start in their design ideas, then they think, well, you know what? I could do that. It's not actually as difficult as you think it, it is. So that was me starting to, like, to push their ideas more. And it's it's always a case of, you know, people say, oh, you know, you've got to think outside the box. Well, you know, not let's just not just always think outside the box. Let's just take the box and use it instead. And that's where the ideas come from, because you're challenging your thinking. And because I wasn't able to challenge my thinking as much as I wanted to, I knew probably about halfway through, so probably about five, six years in, you know what, I, yeah, I can't do this anymore. And I th- I want to set up a business, but I wasn't 100% sure. I knew it'd be textile-based, I knew it'd be product-based, but I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I was going to do something. So with all that happening, did you honestly feel that you was going to take the plunge and start your own business? Did you have a plan for that already, or was it a leap of faith? It was more so a leap of faith, I think, because sometimes... You know when people say you go through the wilderness and I literally was going through the wilderness and I couldn't see the wood for the trees and things were really difficult. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had an idea and the thing is education isn't for everyone but there's always this big focus on that, on academia. Everybody, yeah, we have to look at the academics and people always getting pulled away or young people getting pulled away from the um, practical subjects or you get all the, as they put it, naughty kids, all those that are, um, their levels aren't very high, then they get pushed into you. And what they would do, it's almost like selling them a lie. Because the thing with the practical subjects is there's still a lot of written work and design work. And when you've got like senior leaders that are just telling you or telling these kids that, you know, oh, you're just going to be making stuff, it's fine, it'll be easy. And it's not because there's a whole process that you've got to get to before you even start making. And trying to explain that, it was really frustrating because, again, people downplay what you do. And subjects like arts, textiles, um, if it was woodwork or whatever it was, they're downplayed as like there's no skill in it. But if you think about everything that's around us, you need these essential subjects as well as the maths and the science and the English. So what I was thinking of at the time was, you know what, I could set up an alternative provision 
because an alternative provision usually they're looking at health and social care there might be a bit of construction or painting and decorating or plumbing or something like that but there was never anything for the creative arts so I was considering is this something that I should really try and do so the year that I decided I'm done done it was a really difficult year there was stuff going on personally um my marriage broke down I had sciatica and a slip disc at the same time going back into work after a break over the summer was difficult because I couldn't sit for long I couldn't stand for long I couldn't even drive for long I would drive probably two miles and I'd have to get out the car and stretch so a 20 minute journey would become 45 minutes to an hour so I was struggling and it was one day I went into school in the September and my head of department, he turned the cover teacher from my lesson, he turned them away and told them to go into his lesson. And he was reteaching something that I'd already taught. So when I walked in and I was like, I said to the technician, what is he doing? And he says, oh, he's redoing the lesson. He says, oh, well, they just, they all had the same thing in their books and he didn't understand it. So he's redoing the lesson. And so when it was, I think it was the end of the first lesson, going into the second lesson, and he said, um, do you want me to carry on? I said, well, no, because I've already done this already. And he liked to undermine you and patronise you in front of students as well, which I hated. So I says, no, I've already done it already. And he goes, well, you wasn't here. And he shrugged his shoulders. And I was like, wow, did this man really say that? And did he really say that in front of 25 of my students? And then I thought to myself, you know what? I'm done. Didn't have a conversation with anyone. And I briefly had a conversation with the head teacher earlier on in the year about potentially leaving teaching, but I just wasn't 100% what direction I wanted to sell a business, but wasn't sure what direction. And he put me on a senior leadership course because I think he wanted to keep me there. But after that comment was made, I found the head at break time and I said to him, we need to have a conversation. That was it. We need to have a conversation. He says, come back to me after break. I'm just waiting for me in my office. And I was very honest with him because I'm the kind of person that sometimes I don't mince my words, but there's times I'll just kind of, you know, just let me just keep it quiet. Let me just keep my mouth shut because I don't want to get myself into trouble by saying the wrong thing. But I went into his office and he goes, He's, you know, what's wrong? What's happened? And I said, to be honest, if I stay here longer than I have to, and this is exactly what I said to him, I'm going to punch that man in his throat. <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay, Janet, take a seat. And we had to have a conversation. And he goes, well, you know, he's really supportive. And I says, no, he thinks he's supportive, but he's not. I said, he's very patronising, he's this and he's that. And I said, you know what, I've had enough. So and this was, I think it was two weeks into the um, autumn term. And I says to you, I'm giving you a, a whole term's notice. Because you only need to give a half a term's notice. I'm giving you a whole term's notice. I'm leaving at Christmas. And that time I didn't know what I was going to do. Am I going to do supply? Am I going to apply for another job at another school? I wasn't 100% sure in what I wanted to do. But all I knew was that I was done, done with that. And I was head of textiles at the time. So it's not like I wasn't, um, I was actually had a great bonus for being ahead of my subject area, but they kept on dropping different subjects on me as well. Things that I had no experience in teaching. Um, and like with my back and then the fact that, you know, I've gone from two incomes to one. Um, my youngest was about a year and a half. My son was going through his GCSEs and going through all kinds of stuff. And I thought, you know, I just can't, I can't do this. I'm just exhausted. And you know when it's just not physically, I'm physically exhausted because my back was just, it was agonising because over the summer I had to stay at my mum's for a couple of weeks because I literally couldn't couldn't pick him up I couldn't lie down I couldn't sit I couldn't do nothing for myself because I was in that much pain 
Sounds actually brutal. So the decision you made to then to say, right, that's it. Was it more based on your health and your own well-being more so than it was, I'm just doing this to collect a paycheck? Yeah, you know what? The money wasn't even an issue because it wasn't even after I, when I'd handed in my notice for another job before, after, later after that, I'd thought the next day, what the hell have I done? But this occasion, I knew it was the right decision to make. And when it came nearer to the time for leaving, I still hadn't found a job. They really did me bad at that school. Really, really bad. Um, I was supposed to be part of the um, recruitment process, finding my replacement. Um, But they did everything without me. They told, my head of department told my students that I was leaving. So when they had other teachers coming in that had applied for the job, you've got to teach a lesson. So they had teachers coming in, had me teaching something else. And when I confronted him about it, I said, well, that's my job to tell my, my kids, because they, they were my babies. I said, it's my job to tell them in my way that I'm going to leave. And he goes, well, they would have found out anyway. And I was like, wow. It, no, very rude. And the kids were so upset with me. Some of them just didn't want to talk to me for the, for the next um, few lessons. I didn't want I said, that wasn't my choice because you know me, I would have done it differently. And because I was so, I'm firm but fair. And a lot of kids would just say, you know, you're just like my auntie. Some would call me auntie, some would call me miss. And I felt really bad because I didn't want it just, it was like, it, it just felt too brutal to do it in a not a nice way. And then I was backed up in a corner to tell another group, well, actually, I'm really sorry, I have to leave. But they knew the reasons why. They knew it wasn't because of them. I know I had some difficult classes, but they knew it wasn't because of them. And the day that, um, the end of term, I had a party in my classroom. He was at end of term, he was at a party. But I had a party. I was playing some old school hip hop. I could just about move anywhere, but I'm dancing with the kids. My mum had done some fried chicken. My technician had made some pizzas. And I had kids coming from other classes. Oh, we want to go and say goodbye to Miss. And they would come down and not go back. I had teachers coming down. So I had this full classroom. And we had a full-on party in the room. And I know they didn't like that. Because when we did the speeches in the hall... My year 10s and 11s stood up and gave me a standing ovation. There was one that was crying so hard. She was, you know, when you're sobbing and your shoulders are just shaking. And, you know, you're not allowed to, to hug these kids. One of them, she wouldn't let me go. And it broke my heart. One of the technicians said, I've never seen a teacher have that kind of response when they were leaving from anyone. And he goes, I can understand why. Because the school, it's... You're a loss to the school. And it was a shame. And even at towards the end of term, I still hadn't got a job. I'd gone for one with a view to become head of department, head of textiles, but head of department. But I didn't like I didn't like what the head was saying that he wanted to do. He wanted me to have a bigger class of 30 where the class layout wasn't right. And I challenged him on that and he said, Well, if they can do it in maths and English, they, you can do it in yours. You can do it in textiles. And I'm like, okay. It's not health and safety alone. It's not going to work. And he goes, well, if you don't like it, then you know what you can do. And they said, I say that to all my staff. I was like, okay. I'd already accepted the job by then. And he wanted me to come in and do the first day of prep, you know, teach training at the start of the year. And he wanted me to prep my classroom and do prep for the, the first day of um, lessons. And he wasn't going to pay me. And I said, Mm-mm. I'm not going to come out of one stressful situation into another. And they said, well, if it's about the money, we'll give you more money. They was literally going to offer me an extra £200 on what my weekly rate would have been anyway. And I said, no, it's not about the money. So I turned it down and I was headhunted for another school to head up their textile department but it was part-time and I was like I can't do part I can't afford to and they upped me a scale I didn't even have an interview I went into the school had a look around sat down with the head of department and the head teacher 
brought a portfolio of the kids' work that I've been working with and some of the things that I'd personally done. And he literally offered me the job on the spot. And I says, I don't know if I can afford to to do this. I still need to pay for nursery. But he ends up, I thought, you know what? My stress levels need to reduce. And you know when they say you need to be in control of your stresses? There's some things that you have no control over, but there's other things that you can have control. And the one thing that I knew I had control over was my job. So to leave one and to go into another one, which I know was going to be less stressful, my stress levels literally went from 100 to about 50 in the first week of the term. The only problem that I had after that was, remember, I'd gone from two, a two-income household to one to half in less than 12 months. So that was a bit of a struggle. But even still... I was talking to my son and I I talk about my son all the time because he's one of the reasons why I set up Feed My Crave in the first place because he's always been around me when I've been sewing and making. I've made wedding dresses, I've made jeans, I've made jackets. I've done so many different things and he's always been around that. And it was him and his friend that said, can I help them make a pair of trousers? And I think it was um, a pair of Dickies. Dickies trousers, they're not cheap. But they was both doing skateboarding and BMXing at the time. And 16 and 17 years old, both of them. And they says, can you show us how to make a pair of trousers? And I was like, okay, I'll show you the quick way of doing it, taking off a pattern off a pair of trousers and whatnot. And took them to the market, bought the material, and they both made a pair of trousers in a week for about £8. And I thought, you know what? Being able to set up something that young people, even adults, can do, that they don't, because I'm thinking about not everybody's academic, that you can go somewhere where, one, it's relaxed, number two, you haven't got big classes of of people in there, and you can learn at your own pace. It's not a tick box exercise, you don't have to get a qualification, but I thought, you know, this is a nice way to have to show people how to sew um, without the pressures of exams and all those kind of things so I thought you know what this will be a nice thing to be able to do and that's what I was looking into you know do I set up as a CIC do I just do it as a class do I you know get community hall and whatnot so I'm 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 thinking about all these things and I'm talking about it to like my brother and my son and whatnot and my son says to me stop talking about it and write it down when he was only about 16 at the time and 1st of January 2016 was when Feed My Creative was born because that was the day I got my notebook and I wrote it down and you know everybody always do that their end of year reflections in December my end of year reflections is always on the 1st of January because that's when I set up my business but it's nice to to look back and what I would do every year on the 1st of January I get that notebook it's falling apart now I get the notebook and I look through every page at what I wrote and everything that I said I wanted to do. And I've literally been able to tick off 90% of what I said I wanted to do way back then. And that's beautiful to hear. And I'm really happy to hear that's worked out for you. Mm. But prior to going into that, I can only imagine how how much anxiety you could have faced in terms of your, your career isn't what you thought it was going to be because you're not liking the direction it's going in yeah the pupils are amazing and whatnot but you know it's just like yeah the people I work with just not it the direction they're going in it's not the one um my body isn't necessarily like it used to be so the quality of life I'm having when I'm not working Mm. isn't there and this guy I'm just gonna drink him in his throat like he just I promise you, just, just, just come on, come to me on the wrong day and watch. You're gonna find the right person, right? And you're thinking, if that happens, and what's gonna happen? You know, what's the ramification of it? Do you really want that? But what other options do you have? It could be easy to feel like you're trapped. Could yeah. it could have been easy to feel claustrophobic? Yeah. But then you then open that door, and it's another door leading into 
somewhere safe it just it could be the fact that you and just for illustration purposes it could be you just open the door and it's just nothing mm. and you've got to walk out on faith how did you and i know we're going to touch on what happened later on about your marriage and whatnot but how did you decide that taking that leap of faith was better than staying where you was at and you had a guaranteed income you know what it was i tell you what exactly what it felt like is the best way of explaining it it's like being in a toxic relationship and it's me or them it's like fight or flight kill or be killed and it literally got to the point, I just thought, you know what, I can't cry anymore. I can't do it. Because, and it's that thing about the black woman being strong. You know, you've always got to be strong. You've always, I've been, always been told, you know, you've got, even from when my, um, my eldest, when his dad died, it was always the case, you've got to be strong. You've got to be strong. You've got to be strong for him. You've got to be strong. And I was thinking, but when am I allowed to have my weekdays? When am I allowed to literally have day where I just don't want to do anything I just need to free my mind from any of the stresses and the responsibilities of everything I don't want to sit and cry and argue with anybody anymore I don't want to have to be fighting with anyone I don't want to have to question myself and my abilities number one as a teacher as two as a parent as well because of other people's shortcomings or other people's views on how I should be, I'd had enough of it. And, you know, making that decision to leave, I think because it had been festering for months, I say to people now that I work with or, you know, young people that I've mentored, and I've said sometimes you've got to um, create that own door of opportunity yourself. And I would never tell anybody, just leave your job without a backup plan. I would never, that, for me, that's irresponsible. So I would never tell somebody to do that. You've got to have a plan. But I think because it was something that I knew that I'd, I was talking about and I knew that it was something that I wanted to do, it wasn't, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And that struggle throughout that whole 12, I'm saying 12 months, you're looking at what, eight months. It's about eight months. In that eight months, when I sat, I literally sat, because what I do, when when my head takes me and I'm feeling a bit stressed or I'm under a lot of pressure for anything, I have to walk. You know, sometimes you get to that point, it's like, okay, I know what I need to do now. And I felt like with the whole situation, even though I hadn't physically gone for a walk, I was walking until I got to that point where it was like, okay, that's it. I know what I need to do now. But it was hard. That year was really, really hard. And I don't think anybody appreciates or even understood how difficult those eight months were for me. Um, because, you know, like health-wise... Um, was difficult. Work was difficult. The clashing that I'm having with students and parents asking me questions about subjects, that's like, I have no idea. You know, I was told that I was supposed to be teaching child development. And the reason why I had to do child development is one, because one of the teachers that I was working with, she'd relocated to teach in another country. So I inherited her group. But they'd also said that they were dropping the subject. I was like, okay, cool, because I don't want to teach it. And then we was at a um, we had a an open day, and one of the parents came over and said, oh, I heard that you're teaching this next year. And I was like, am I? He goes, well, your head of department said it. So I said to him, how can you? And when I looked, it was in the booklet. They'd put it in the booklet with my name attached on it, but nobody told me. He goes, oh, I was meaning to tell you. You've been stood there for well over an hour you saw me when we were setting up and you didn't tell me that and I says I'm telling you now I am not teaching that subject in September 
And it's like all these things that some one person says one thing and then they do the the opposite. And because I was I had a senior position within the department, then they said it's my responsibility. If there's a shortfall, then I've got to take it up. So I was backed up in a corner as well. So there was all these things that were going on, personal life, work, health. And I was, I was just exhausted. I was like, I can't, I can't, I just can't, can't do this anymore. But you do get to the point where it's just, it's not about the money. It cannot, if it was about the money, I'd probably still be in teaching now. But I knew for my own sanity, and my own personal well-being, and more so for my kids, I didn't want them to see me unhappy anymore because it rubs off on them. If they see that you're unhappy, your negative energy rubs off on them. And I think that was one of the main reasons why I said, you know what, I need out, was more so for my boys. And that's very brave. You were able to sort of identify what you was feeling and you took yourself to a place that allowed you to extend to explore those feelings, those emotions and weigh up your options, which unfortunately as things are so busy and the cost of everything is sky high, you don't have a moment to catch your breath because you're always trying to grind to earn more money to just survive, which is very, very unfortunate. But you allowed yourself that moment to remove yourself from that toxic relationship and potentially say, whatever I'm going to go into is going to be superior to what I'm in at the moment because you can't get much worse than this. But yeah, definitely, you know, two kids, your health, your, you know, your marital relationships, other things may have been a contribute, well, work, work situation, other maybe contributing factors just all on top of you, you feel like, really, really? But power to you for doing what you did. Did you react negatively to what was going on? And did you have any support that could have helped? rein you back in if they didn't what do you what with teaching yeah going because you're in a job that you don't particularly like and when people are in a situation they don't enjoy there is the opportunity for them to react in a negative way be through frustration more so than anything else did you react negative in any of those situations other than threatening to punch him in the throat. You know what? And I never told him I was leaving, you know. I ne- the words never came out of my mind. He found out from the head because I saw them walking together. So I knew he told him, but I never told him, physically told him I was leaving. And I think it got their backs up the wrong way. Probably, I don't know whether it's the way that I came at him and told him how I was going to leave or whatever, I don't know. But they even collectively between the two of them, they refused to write my references as well. There was one, I had this, he, literally, I saw an email, but I couldn't say anything about this email because they would say, well, why are you looking at this person's email? Well, your screen was open and I seen it. And they actually said, let her wait. They can wait, she can wait. And they made me wait six weeks for a reference for a job that I was going for. And I had to keep chasing them and chasing them and chasing them about it. And that's what made it even more difficult. But I think because I carried on as much as I did, um, I had to, I was signed off quite a few times as well for stress and anxiety because of everything else that was going on as well and with my back. But it's like I just felt like I was just being pushed out of everything. So I thought, you know what? It's cool. I know I'm going. Don't. You've got to rise above it sometimes because people push your buttons. And again, sometimes being a black woman as well, you as soon as you say something that you're not happy with or you even remotely raise your voice, um, you're not passionate about what you're doing, what you're saying. You're now aggressive. Um, and I had to be very mindful of that because I still needed to get a reference from them. And I know you're not legally, you're not supposed to give negative references, but because certain people were very petty, 
I didn't want to give an opportunity where they write a mediocre reference when I know what I was doing was outstanding. But I had to rise above it, even though it's like inside. I felt like I wanted to fight everybody because it, I tell you something that teaching did, it changed my personality. It really did change my personality because I said, I'm mellow, I'm chilled. I'm so chilled sometimes, I'm, I'm practically lying down. I was always known as the person that never gave detentions. Why am I giving a detention for, for a waste of time? What, because you ain't got your pencil? I don't know what your circumstances are, why you haven't got a pencil. I always had one in my bun, in the back of my hair. Um, so I'm, I'm just chilled. But you know that I will go from naught to 100 if you push me the wrong way, you keep pushing me, pushing me, pushing me, I'm going to flip. And I didn't want to do that. So I had to try and maintain my composure for those last four months. So in four months, I had to really compose myself while I was there because I was making changes, changed my classroom around, moved all my stuff. And you know, when somebody's trying to push your buttons and he was pushing my buttons. So even that the layout of my classroom the way that the tables were, he put the tables in lines. I was like, but this isn't a math lesson. It's a practical subject. I want everybody together on tables so they can work and interact together. And I'm not a stand at the front kind of teacher. I'm the kind of person that'd be right in the middle of everyone. So you would walk in and say, where is your teacher? And I was like, I put my hand, I'm here. I'm on my wheelie chair and I'm wheeling around the classroom. So when I'm coming in and you've moved my chairs, and we moved my tables, and I was like, why are they like this? And he goes, well, I think that it works better for behaviour management. I says, well, but I don't work like that. So I'd move them back to how I wanted it, and then I'd go off again, because I was like on a phased return, because I'd been off for about, I think I was off for about three, four weeks or something like that, I can't remember. And he'd move everything back again. And I says, are you telling me that I have to have my tables like this? And he goes, no, it's just a suggestion. I says, well, I don't want it like that then. And even like with GCSE work, I created a booklet, an A3 booklet that they can work on. And there's work they can do in there in terms of research and then guides to help them when they're doing their design work to put in their folders. Everything was there. So I said, if I'm not here, you work on the booklet, you know exactly what you need to do because it's just the first part of it. And I came in and I said, what work have you done? And they said, we haven't done anything. We've just been doing um, some cover work that wasn't relevant. And I said, well, what happened to the work that I left you? Nobody knew where it was. And when I looked, it was all stacked up in a pile by my desk on the floor. He took everything off my desk, put it on the floor, and they didn't do the work that they were supposed to do. And for that whole time, it was just literally about pushing my buttons, pushing my buttons, pushing my buttons every single time. And I don't know, you know, thinking about it now, it's the first time I've actually said so much about it, but it's probably the first time that I've actually realised in how toxic those last few months actually were and how stressful it was. I get that. I, I know definitely from my previous job, I was traumatised by it. And it's a shame that I say it like that because I shouldn't have to, but that's the reality. And I guess that's why I like this space that I'm creating where people can just reflect on what's gone on in the past and where they are and what they've gained from it, if anything positive. So I'll answer the question, what is it? If, the, if that's not an L going through that experience what is it you know what because i'd thought about that i hated teaching i used to tell myself i hate teaching didn't enjoy it didn't like it but it, i don't think it necessarily was the teaching that i didn't like it was the process and what they expected of me that i didn't like and there were certain people that i was working with i didn't like some of these teachers were too young and they were promoted, as far as I was concerned, too early. It's my opinion. If you've just come out of teaching a year or two years, you shouldn't be in that position to be on the leadership team and looking down at me that's got more experience than you. I've got more life experience than you. 
So for a long time, I thought, you know what? Nah, teaching is not for me. I didn't learn anything from it. But actually, I did. What I learned that education isn't for everybody. Not everybody's academic. And if you struggle through the education system, there has to be another way for you to be able to learn the key things that you need to learn without being in that kind of environment. Because if you move somewhere else and they work based on how you learn, um, you can excel. Well, everyone's got their own way of working and you get the best out of people when you give them a little bit of freedom to do what is right for what they're responsible for. And if you just tell them there's only one way of delivering something that could suffocate any creativity, any sense of personality or identity that they have that they can impart on what they're responsible for. Mm-hmm. And I guess, don't get me wrong, we, there's a, there's, there is things that we must follow. Mm-hmm. There is structure that oh, must yeah, be in place. But there's got to be a bit of flex, a bit of give here and there. And open communication channels work wonders in terms of saying, these are the reasons why, you know, what's objective? What, how can I get there? Let's talk about it. Not because I'm trying to be difficult or go against what you're saying, but naturally I might find this works better than that. And that's why it's all about trying to have different people in the, in different spaces so that we can bring more to the table rather than just having the same stale meal all the time. So what I'll ask you then, since you gained so much from this, when was your worst or your lowest point going through that moment? Up until when I started the business. Yeah. Um, I would say it was probably towards the end of that year, the December. December was really, I think I felt really sad. And you know when you feel really, really sad, it's not, it's just not necessarily just a feeling. You know, you can wake up, you feel, I feel really sad today, but I'll shake it off. I actually felt my body felt, it, it was different. I was really sad and, you know, I just, I felt tearful all the time. And I think because everything was so heavy, um, emotionally, it was heavy. Physically, because my back still wasn't right, it was heavy. Um, Not knowing what I was necessarily going to do next, that felt heavy. Um, The stuff my son was going through, that was heavy as well. It It was just the weight of everything. Um, and I think it was, it was really hard to kind of break out of that. It's almost like being in a box and you know, there's a way out, but you don't know where the door is. I couldn't find all there's, you know, there's an easy way to be able to poke through a hole to be able to get out or whatever. And it's, I think I was at a point where I just didn't know where, where or how I was going to do this. Because even thinking about, you know, getting another job, as it got closer and closer to the end of the year, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm leaving in about three weeks and I still haven't got a job yet. You know, I was even considering, oh, should I do supply? But I thought, you know, supply is still not good because you don't get paid in the holidays and I've still got mortgage to pay and I've still got to do this. I've got after school club and I've got this and that nursery, blah, blah, blah. There's all these things that I had to consider, but I just couldn't find a way out. And it was just like this this dark cloud was just following me everywhere. The kids at school noticed it. My son noticed it. And I think that was that turning point when you realise it yourself, that you're having an impact on everybody around you. And I was snapping over the littlest things. I was very snappy. Um, I think once I snapped at my mum and I thought, you know what? Yeah, even at my big, big age, she'll taunt me down if she has to. <laughs> um, I think it was just that point. It's like, you know what? I need to do something. And it's not even physically doing something. You know you need to do something before you you get to that place that you find it so hard to come out of. Now, I wouldn't necessarily say that I was 
I was depressed, even though the doctor said that I was borderline, I didn't believe that I was. And I said, that's the thing. What somebody tells you that you might be and what you believe yourself can be two completely different things. So I didn't think I was depressed. But he says, mm, yeah, I think you are. And I think that was the point where he signed me off and said, you know what, you need to, you need to come out of that space for a little while. Um, and it was, I think it was good for me to be able to do that because I went on lots of walks. After the school run, I went on walks, I had to do walks to clear my head. Yeah, 2015 was not the best year at all. And I think because that was the, no, I was about to say it was the end of something. No, it was the start of something actually quite good. So I took a negative and I really turned it into a positive. But, you know, reflecting back on, on it, I, you know, sometimes I wonder how the hell did I manage to get through that year anyway? I have no idea. I, I really don't know how I, f I got myself out of it. I mean, thinking and talking about it now is like, you know what? You worked hard because I had to, because I couldn't stop being a parent just because I feel like I was in quicksand. Yeah. So if you could go back in time, and talk to your younger self when you was at that lowest point, what would you have told yourself to help you push through? Um, oh, what would I have said? I mean, there's, there's something that I always say now. I've even got some, some cards that when I was making things and sending them out, and it's nothing happens before it's time. And... I think I would still stick with that then because being patient is a skill and you want things to happen right here and now. And sometimes things aren't going to happen because the timing's not right. The timing's not right at all. And being patient enough to just wade through as much as you can because something better is always going to come along. It's just when. And I think when you haven't got the patient because you want it now, sometimes you make the wrong decisions because you feel that's the right decision that needs to be made for that time and it and it's not. So I've always said, even like with now, there's stuff that's going on and it's just like, oh my gosh, it's frustrating. Nothing happens before it's time and it's the time isn't your time, it's the time that it's supposed to happen. So I think I'd I'd stick with that and say when, you know, if I was younger. Um, which is what I say to young people now, nothing happens before it's time. You've still got to do the processes to get to where you need to go. Very well put. Do you think your younger self would have listened to what you've said? They could have heard what you said, but you've been able to listen to it and act accordingly. Um, probably not. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know if I would have. I think... Even when I was younger and I was still designing, what I wanted to do then didn't matter what anybody says to me. Not I'm going to be a designer. I'm going to have my collection. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I was adamant that this is this is the direction I'm going in. But it was a different time, and I think if the timing back in the um, early 90s was like how things are now if things were like how things are now then or over the past five years say then I probably would have listened to myself but because it was a different time and it was difficult and you had all the struggles and of different things and the comparison because one thing that I hate don't compare me to somebody else don't do it because if anything's going to irritate me it's that um and I feel that's what I had a lot then. So if if I was to say nothing happens before, it's like, yeah, whatever. Whatever. This is what I want to do and this is what I want to do now. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a difficult question because you're saying it, the time back in the 80s and 90s is completely different to how things are now because more things are more accessible. Which is true. So if you wouldn't have listened to yourself, and I know it's a different time and whatever else, but how would you have had to have presented that information for you to be able to take heed to it and just sit tight and just understand everything happens in its own time? I think, you know what, because 
we all it, it happens to all of us when there's somebody closer to home that's telling you that you need to do this or you should or giving you advice you don't really listen so much but then if somebody it's almost like a total stranger or somebody that doesn't know you very well tells you the same advice you're more inclined to listen to them and i think i think if it was somebody else telling me rather than myself telling me then I probably would have listened more than if it was... Because if that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, if it was somebody else telling me, then I probably would have... Okay, yeah, I get it. So even if they were to tell you, would they have had to just sprout it out and, and you'd have just heard it? Or would they have had to sit down with you or go somewhere and just have that conversation? Because the reason I'm asking is because, for me, I'm thinking if I spoke to my younger self, let's say I was in my teens, I'm an old man. So this, I'm not I'm not connecting with this old man. This uh, this brother is old. Why are you talking to me, man? You've got grey hairs. Shut up. But you can talk, but then you could take me somewhere. Like we're going bowling or we're going to go do this or go do that. But that one-on-one time for me... Makes a massive difference. Yeah. So would it have to be done like that or would it have to be... It has to be a, a lyrics and a song for you to sort of resonate with it and... Or, and I know it sounds really far-fetched me saying it, but I just know that we all receive information in different ways. Like, I know it sounds really stupid and completely off-topic here, but when you listen to some of them reggae songs from way back when mm. and you hear the lyrics today, mm. what was I singing? Lord. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So sometimes it's sort of like, do I need to hear that, hear something and sort of really groove, like get into the groove yeah. of it all just for it to sit with me? And to help me be the person I need to be. Yeah. It's almost like when you close your eyes and really listen properly. Yeah. It's like I'm hearing you, you know, I'm really hearing and listening to what you're saying. I think it's kind of like a combination of the both for me. Because you can tell me something and then, you know, I usually get an idea when I'm talking to somebody. It's like we've already, we've been talking for a while now. And even since we've had this conversation, I've already had a couple of ideas and I've written them down already. But I think going somewhere, it's almost like you take it, take somebody outside of where they normally are. I think it has, um, they can have positive triggers in terms of when somebody listens more because you're doing, I learn by doing. It's like if you give me some instructions to build something, I'm not reading them instructions, you know. <laughs> I'm just gonna do it and figure it out. And if it if I if I put it in or put it together inside out, back to front, then I'll pull it apart and then look at the instructions and then try it again. But yeah, I think if I was taken somewhere um, and had that conversation, I think it would. Yeah, definitely would have made a difference. Nice, nice. So what I'm gonna do because I'm conscious of time, we are going to do a part two, if you're up for it, and it'll be another time. But before we conclude, I would like you to selfishly plug yourself and everything you got going on in the next two minutes. Go for it. This space is yours. So what am I doing? There's a lot of things I'm doing. So I had an exhibition last year called The Chapters of Our Lives, and it was an interactive exhibition where I'd interviewed 10 creatives, professionals, people that I knew, and they had to give me their favourite photographs, which I then transferred onto fabric, made them interactive, and they were connected to a speaker. You could touch certain parts of it and you could hear them tell the story. And it was all about getting all those stories out there before it's too late, because once you've gone, your voice has gone forever if you haven't had it recorded. And I didn't want it to be just about the Windrush era. I wanted it to be a range of ages. And it was so nice to be able to hear these people's stories. And the one thing that I said I wanted to do was to be able to take it nationally. So I actually have got an exhibition coming up this year. I've been commissioned to um, have it for three months with an exist- a new piece of work on top of it at the National Memorial Arboretum in Burton-on-Trent. So that's coming up soon so I'm working on that at the moment I've also just got some funding to create an interactive book called Windrush 75 the story continues um so that's what I'm working on so I'll be doing a lot of interviews um for that so that's really exciting 
another project that I'm waiting for some funding or to hear whether or not I'm going to get the funding for is called um, Reproject Juniors. So I'd launched Reproject in 2019 and that was to work with um, youth offending team and survivors of domestic abuse and that was to create a range of bags and toiletry bags that would then be donated on to um, those affected by domestic abuse with a range of toiletries in there. Now this is a project that I've been able to run with and without funding because I've been able to um, get really great sponsorships from, from really huge brands. So I could do the toiletry bags and they've got full side items. So rather than the sample sizes, which will only last probably for about a week or so, you've now got full size items that would last at least two months, a month, two months. Um, so I was pitched an idea last year. Could I do the similar kind of thing for children in care or looked after children with a focus on black children in care to make sure they've got the right kind of hair care products? And I'm the kind of person, if you give me a good idea, I'm not just going to run with it. I'm sprinting. And I literally, Usain bolted with it. Um, I contacted all the companies that I normally work with and I managed to get... Um, I say close to the region of £30,000 worth of in-kind support in less than a month. Um, and with that project, it will be providing bags for looked-after children. So if they have to move from home to home, they're not taking um, their belongings in a plastic bag. I know there's a couple of charities that do that already, but the difference is with how I want to do it is that I'm not buying in the bags and branding them. I'll be training young people and volunteers how to make them themselves. And not only will they have hair care products for um, Afro hair, I will be working with hairdressers and barbers to make sure they know how to look after their hair as well. And with barbers, you know, you get a free haircut. So I'll be working on that. So fingers crossed I get the funding. Um, I mean, that will be regional for that will be for Birmingham, the West Midlands. But it's something that I feel that could be um, taken to other areas and other cities as well. So that's that's one of the bigger projects that I'm working on. And even though I know I still have to wait before the decisions with the funding, because it's a lot of money that I've asked for. I'm still running with it anyway. And since January, I've been able to donate about 204 packs with toiletries and hair care products since January as well, which has been, um, it's actually a really great thing to be able to do, um, considering I'm only a team of one. I've had some volunteers make some things for me, um, but coordinating it all, I've had to do everything um, myself. Um, and I think that's it. No, I appreciate you coming on because I know you are super busy. You're a very hard person to pin down <laughs> and, and for the right reasons because you're always doing something and the work you do for yourself and for the community is just outstanding. Thank and you. I hope people that are listening will take the time out to check out what you are doing, what you got going on, and if they know someone that would benefit or could you could collaborate with or however it is, just make that connection because it's always good to just... It's nice to be nice long and short of it all so I definitely appreciate it and obviously you talking about the struggles going into your business it is so hard going into a new stage of life and a lot of times that we should in theory meet it with excitement be elated just so excited about the possibilities that life could could happen to us but instead we're usually crippled with fear trepidation and thinking about all the things that could go wrong. Mm. And I don't know if that's something we program ourselves to do or society's conditioned us to be that way. But it's nice to hear that you managed to gain something through a situation that wasn't pleasant at work and you managed to flip it on its head. And I'm not saying for one moment that you don't necessarily have some trial and tribulation where you're at now, but it's nice to know that you removed yourself from a situation you didn't feel was right yeah. for you. And hopefully that will give encouragement to others, people, to not feel that they should just reside in the situation just because it's comfortable or convenient, mm. even though it may not be good for them and their own well-being on multiple levels. Yeah. So I definitely commend you. And, I and you know what? Another thing to add on that, 
it's not, it's never too late to change direction at all. True. Because people say, oh, you know, I'm too old to set up a business. I'm too old. No, you're never too old. Think about, I've been doing this for seven years. So I left, well, I started the business when I was, what, 43? Oh my gosh, yeah, 43. Um, And I actually left teaching full stop two years ago. So I do feed my creative full time now. And that was always the goal. So it's always have a plan in what you want to do next, but don't put your an age limit on what your change of direction will be. Because if you look at some of these huge billionaires, millionaires now, they started what they was doing in their 40s and 50s. So... I'd, I'd say to anybody, don't don't feel like your age is going to cap where you should be right now. If you want to change direction, change direction, but make sure you've got a plan um, before you just leap with no um, safety net. <laughs> no, um, that's no, I get that, and I think that is actually a fair point to put, especially when you're speaking from experience and that's something really important so i greatly appreciate you sharing that i hope the listeners are appreciating the fact that you managed that you shared what you did i know people you want to hear the second l and so do i but unfortunately the time this is being recorded it's time's escaped us and i will hopefully get janet on a second time so she can finish off the second l so if you really want to listen to that you know what you guys got to do you need to follow through and just listen to all the episodes until such time she's back again <laughs> um but yeah guys girls and however you identify you can find me on instagram mainly if anything um i'll put it in the show notes but i hope this teaches you that whatever situation you're in it doesn't have to be your it doesn't have to be your forever. Your right now is not your forever. There's nothing about a caterpillar that'll tell you that it's gonna be a butterfly. And hopefully you will know that you have the ability to teach yourself to react to a situation the way you want to, rather than a knee-jerk reaction. And if you do a knee-jerk reaction, like Janet said, sometimes you make the wrong decision because you're being too hasty about things if you learn how to manage your, how you react to things maybe you learn to just bide your time until such time that the right opportunity comes along and you can step into that nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm and if you don't have enthusiasm for what you're going to do chances are you won't enjoy it so hope you enjoyed that i look forward to catch you guys in the next episode and look after yourself Every L.